Um, guys, um, if you're wondering why I'm uh, on the on stage left this morning, uh, the reason, and I'll explain a little bit of this, is because we have a guest preacher this morning. Um, one of the things we have, we want to do as a church is two things. One, we want we want multiple voices to be speaking into our lives. I don't want you to, this isn't like, Kev Church or anything like this. Like, I want you guys to hear uh, from multiple uh, teachers and learn from them. Uh, but also something we have as, uh, as a conviction is that God is always raising up uh, the next generation. He's, we're, we are constantly passing uh, the responsibility and the message of the gospel to be shared by the next generation. Um, and so one of the things we want to do is be training other preachers and teachers as a church. And so uh, what I want to do right now is welcome up a familiar face who's going to share the word with us this week. Uh, Josh is going to share uh, the passage for this morning. If you guys know Josh, and if you don't, uh, go up and talk to him afterwards and uh, get to know him. He's a great guy. Um, I love him. Uh, he's been a part of us. Uh, he's been here since before I was. Um, he's a great, uh, worship leader. And if you've seen him preach before, uh, he's, uh, he's shown, uh, a real response. Uh, he takes serious, um, the call to preach faithfully the word of God. And so I'm blessed to be able to sit under his preaching this morning. I encourage you, uh, to, uh, listen carefully and I hope you are blessed as well. Uh, so with that said, Josh, before I say something stupider, I'm gonna hand off to you. Well, it is uh, definitely a blessing and a privilege to be able to dive into God's Word with you guys. Um, there is no other foundation that we have than the Word of God. And so it is great to be able to join and share that with you guys. So before we do that, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, God, for this opportunity. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are a good God who is faithful. Lord, you are God, as Kevin prayed, that protects us, Lord, and you provide as we're about to see. Lord, we ask that you would be with us. Lord, mold us and shape us in the reading of your word. God, would the words that I say not be coming from me, Lord, Lord, would you um, just use these words to glorify and honor you, Lord? And if there's anything that is uh, not according to your word, Lord, would you change it midair through the Holy Spirit? Um, but God, that all that we do, all the songs, all of the teaching, Lord, would be for your glory always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have been with us um, over the past month or so, you know that we have been going through the life of Abraham as recorded in Genesis. And so we have seen this man who was called by God to go to a place that he was called to, to follow God, and God would bless him. And yet, despite all of the promises that God has made to Abraham, Abraham is obedient, and, but not fully convinced of the promises of God. And this is made evident in the times that he is deceptive, in the times that he tries to, to obtain the promises of God in ways that God never intended him to obtain. And so we see kind of the culmination of all of these different things in this chapter. Up until now, we have seen God promise Abraham an offspring, and through many, many trials, through many failures of Abraham, God reaffirms him of this. In Genesis chapter 12, we see the original um, promise that God made. In 15, we, we see the reaffirming of that promise, and in Genesis 17, God cements that promise 
by making a covenant with him that binds God to the promises, to his word. And although God reaffirms and almost kind of intensifies the promises that he has made, Abraham messes up constantly. But what does God do? Does God say, oh, one strike, two strike, three strikes, you're out? But rather he says, I'm going to bless you despite his failures. He says, he intensifies the promises and he says, not only am I going to give you an offspring, but it's going to be like the sand. It's going to be like the stars. I'm going to bless all nations through you. And this is right after he messes up every single time. And it just shows the faithfulness of God, even when Abraham isn't faithful. And we see the culmination of God's promise or, or the moment of expectation finally being obtained through the birth of Isaac. That although Abraham is about 100 years old, Sarah is 90, and yet they still give birth to Isaac, something that is virtually impossible even by ancient times. And yet now we find ourselves here in the spot and we think, oh, this must be the end of the story. They go off into the sunset. Everything's hunky-dory. They live happily ever after, and that's the it, right? No, of course not. We have this moment where it's, it's the twist. The hero has to go through a trial, as you see in kind of Greek epics, or, or just the moment of the, the plot twist of, oh, everything was going fine until... And then we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 22. So if you would... Please stand as we read the text for today. It is on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. Um, we also have Bibles in the back for you to use and for you to keep if you do not have one as well. And it starts. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on, his, on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, 
On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. You may be seated. So we begin our story today. As I mentioned, the plot twist, the plot thickens. Something's about to happen. Up until this point, Abraham has struggled to obey God, and yet he, he still is going. And here we start to see a shift in the, in the attitude that Abraham has towards God and towards his position. God has finally done the impossible by allowing Abraham and Sarah to give birth to Isaac. And now God asks Abraham the impossible task. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. So before we get into what the test is, as we, we just read, it is important to know Abraham's position here. So God is testing Abraham, and it's important to note that when God tests people, God doesn't tempt people. He is not tempting people to sin or to do something that is contrary to his nature, but rather what he does is he tests the loyalty, the devotion, the faithfulness of his people. And here is one of those instances. And notice his response. And he said, here I am. Already, Abraham has a, has a change in position, knowing that God has completed the impossible. He, he's no longer questioning, oh, I wonder what God has. But now it's more of a call of obedience that says, here I am. What do, you, what do you have for me? What's next? And then he hears what nobody wants to hear. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, given any parent that hears, oh, we want you to offer your son, your daughter, it seems like an impossible task. Something that's absolutely crazy. And if anybody else but God were asking of this, it would be crazy. But knowing, and Abraham knowing that God is a good God who does fulfill his promises, knowing that he will fulfill his promise through Isaac, Abraham trusts God. And he continues and he says, and it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning. Abraham was ready to obey. As difficult as the task may have been, and even though Abraham didn't understand all the things that God was asking him, he said, he said, here I am, and he prepares himself early, the first thing in the morning. When you're about to take a road trip, you don't leave at, at noon. You don't leave at 3 p.m. You leave early in the morning. If you're going to go to Disneyland, you're not going to get there when they're closing. Want to get there right before they're opening so you can be the first people walking in so that you're ready to ride all of these things. And so Abraham, with that same urgency, same expectation, and, and just the same intensity to obey God, 
knowing that he was a good God. No longer was he trying to weasel himself out of things, nor, nor was he trying to understand God in his, in his own way. But he was just complying in obedience. And so he went early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So a few things um, that kind of are important that we kind of glance over. The place that God had instructed Abraham was the mountain of Moriah, uh, which if you read in Chronicles, this would be the future place of where Solomon's temple would be built. Um, and it is located uh, in modern-day Jerusalem, where all the sacrifices would have been um, made during the time of Jesus and, and before the time of Jesus. So this is a very important place. This is a place where um, God would meet with man. And Abraham says something that is uh, another indicator of his obedience and his trust in God. And he says to his servants, he says, stay here. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, nobody thinks of worship as, oh, I'm going to go offer my child. It's a great way to worship, you know, just come on this Sunday, we're going to offer children. No, nobody says that, right? But worship isn't just a matter of singing songs. It's not just a matter of, of being at a service. I love this quote from, from Ken Fleming, and it says, We often think that worship is to sing hymns, say prayers, and listen to a sermon, but true worship is the acknowledgement of the surpassing worth of God as to who he is and what he has done in the light of our own unworthiness before him. Abraham knew the God that he worshipped. And he knew that his God would require nothing but his all. And so he followed in obedience. And yet, he says something. He says, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Here Abraham was expecting to return with Isaac. One way or another. And he knew that God had instructed him. And so he knew that if God was going to continually fulfill his promise and use Isaac to fulfill the promises, that God would have to do the impossible. And resurrection wasn't a thing that was even a thought in the ancient world. People died. That was it. And even in the time of Jesus, the resurrection was something that was kind of a mystery. And so, But he knew that if the same God that did the impossible by giving birth to Isaac, could do the impossible of raising him from the dead. So either way, Abraham kept going in faith and in obedience. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on, his, on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they both went together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he says, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Uh, a logical question. Isaac, being the only person with Abraham, he says, we got all the right stuff, but where's the lamb? 
Where's the offering? And yet, he trusts his father. and he, he knows that Abraham is set on this. And Abraham says, the Lord will provide. And Abraham knew that even if that offering were to be Isaac, God deserved it all. And he was willing to give even his only son for God. And so they continue, and this is, When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, just in case he didn't hear it the first time. He says it twice with such a sense of urgency. He said, Abraham, Abraham. And once again, Abraham says, here I am. Just that receptiveness, that, that willingness to do whatever God wanted. Even while he's about to slaughter his son, he says, here I am. And the angel of the Lord says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. So here again, we see the character of the angel of the Lord or the angel of God. Um, which, as Kevin has mentioned in the previous passages, um, is, is another instance of a theophany or a representation of, of God coming down um, in the form of angel. And this can be, be uh, attested to by the authority that the angel speaks. The angel doesn't say, oh, thus saith the Lord, but he says with, with such, such um, just authority and vigor, he says, um, you have not your son from me. And then later on, as we are about to see, it says, by myself I have sworn. So these are, are powerful words that no mere angel has the authority to even utter. And he, and he continues, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham passes the test. Such a difficult moment for any father, for any parent. And yet he was faithful. He was obedient. Even to the point where if, if need be, he, he would have offered his son. But God says, no, because you have not withheld your son, your only son, whom you love. And it's interesting to note that this is the first instance in all of the Bible that you see the word love talking about the, the connection between the father and the son, that Abraham loved his son so much, but even though his love for his son was so strong and so powerful, it wasn't in comparison to the love that he had for God and the trust in his promises. And so because of that, the angel of the Lord says, do not lay your hands on him. And he continues and he reaffirms all the blessings that God had given him. And before we get to that part, it says, So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Now just imagine being an Israelite reading this. Where it, where it says, on, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Now the Israelites couldn't have imagined that God would come in flesh to die for our sins. But they knew that God would provide. 
that this wasn't just something that God thought of on the spot. Oh, man fell, now I've got to figure out something. No, God knew in advance, and God promised that he would provide. And so even the Israelites understood this, that the same God that had delivered them from Egypt would be the God who would provide for them. Not just their basic needs, but provide for their salvation, provide for all of the things that they needed and desired. And we'll get into a little bit in the connection that what this means for us, because we have the bigger picture. Back then, they didn't, they could, they couldn't imagine Jesus as we we know him now. But living in that expectation, knowing that God had provided even for Abraham, the Lord would also provide for the Israelites. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Now, one thing I want to note in this passage, when he talks about the offspring, it's interesting how he changes from the plural to kind of the singular form in offspring. Not only would God bless those around him and make Isaac into a great nation, but God would also provide an offspring who would bless the entire world. And as we are about to see, that blessing impacts everybody because that, that, that blessing is no one else but Jesus. And as we're going to look into another passage, let us go to Romans chapter 4. I know we're, we're moving forward into the New Testament, and I know we're, it seems like we're jumping from place to place, but this all makes sense. It's like a whole word association game going on. There's a common thread somewhere in there, and I promise this will all make sense. So if you have your Bibles, please go to Romans chapter 4. Here the Apostle Paul uh, is talking about Abraham and his, his, his faithfulness um, to God and his obedience. And then he makes a bigger connection um, that I think is so important for us today that we're about to see. So starting in verse 16, Romans chapter 4. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls to existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses 
and raised for our justification. And he continues in chapter 5. Therefore, because of all of this, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And this leads us to the big idea for today. God not only provided for himself a lamb, but he provided himself as the lamb. God, through Jesus Christ, took our place. Just as Isaac was about to be offered, God provided a ram. We too deserve death. We deserve the wrath of God. And yet through Jesus Christ, we have a substitute. He himself is that lamb that took our place. And that is something that is so powerful and impactful, knowing that we don't deserve this. But God provided nonetheless. As I mentioned earlier, God wasn't like, oh, maybe I could try this. Oh, man failed. Well, let me, let me try, try something else. Troubleshoot. But God was faithful that even in Genesis, God provided. Just as God provided a, a ram instead of Isaac, God provided Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, for our sins. And just picture how, how closely or, or how, how great the imagery we see between Jesus and, and Isaac in this story. In the story, Isaac wasn't forced to carry the wood but he was laid upon the wood and, and Isaac, in obedience to his father, just followed and carried that wood that he would be laid upon up the mountain. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus carrying the cross, going up that mountain, knowing that although Abraham was able to spare his son, God wouldn't spare his for our sake. That God loved us so much that he took our place. And that is something that is so impactful and powerful in our own lives that we should never take for granted. I want us to, to kind of continue. We're going to go to James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15.
So here James is kind of alluding to Abraham's faithfulness and, and is giving kind of a, an encouraging, it seems, um, it doesn't seem very encouraging when we talk about suffering as a, as a good thing or trials or, or, or temptations or any of this. But yet James here, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The importance of this is that just as Abraham went through this trial, went through this test, he followed in obedience and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, because of that obedience, God was able to use Isaac and his offspring and the eventual offspring would be Jesus Christ through that lineage. That Jesus being a son of Abraham, a son of David, Jesus was able to take our place and his righteousness is placed upon us. But we also have a call to continue. How many times in our life we take things, maybe blessings, things that we find important to us and we hold on to them. And instead of worshiping God, we tend to worship our blessings and we make idols out of the things that we hold on to. Instead of being like Abraham, where even his only son, he laid at the altar. Now, this isn't to say that we shouldn't take care of the things that we have been given or that we can't enjoy in God's blessings, but it's important that although the promises of God are an important thing, they're nowhere near as important as the one who made the promise. That God is faithful and he does fulfill his promises. But that's not why we follow God. We follow God because he is a good God who did the impossible. Not just in bringing us to life, but also offering us eternal life through Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, then we can, we can stay steadfast under any trial. And when we have stood the test, we will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. It's important to note that Abraham would not have been able to sacrifice his son if his love for Isaac was greater than his love for God. It would have been impossible. But because Abraham loved and trusted in God, he was able to give up even his son. And we too are, are, are called to follow in that obedience. There should be nothing in our life that we love more than God. And it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's our family, if it's our position, whatever it is, our end goal is Jesus. Our God needs to be God and nothing else. And until we see Jesus face to face, we can be encouraged by these words from Revelation chapter 5. And this is our last passage for today. Just as we know 
that as the Israelites were reading, they, they would read it says, on this mountain, the Lord will provide. Here we get a glimpse of what a, eternity future looks like, of where we get to join with all of creation in, in worship and adoration of what God has done. So Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 9, and it reads, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The beauty of it is that God not only is the Lamb that took our place, but he is our shepherd. That we get to spend eternity with God. That is something that is so amazing. That not only did God save us from what we deserve, but he gives us eternal life and an eternity to dwell with him. What an amazing God that we have. We have a God who loves, who protects, who provides not just provides for salvation, but he provides for our basic needs. What an amazing God we serve. And if we are continually reminded of that, how differently would we live our lives? Notice the change in Abraham's character. He says, here I am. What if we, like Abraham, said, here I am. Whatever it is, God, here I am. You know how different this world would be if we just followed and lived in God's goodness, knowing that He is a good God who not only has kept His promises in the past, who is keeping His promises even now, and who will for all eternity keep His promises because of what He has done in Jesus Christ. And it's in whom we sing all of these things, we pray all of these things, and it's in whom we celebrate as we take the Lord's Supper. Because of what Jesus has done, we rest, as, as Robin mentioned earlier, we go before the throne of God with full boldness, knowing that in Jesus Christ, we have a mediator. We have an eternal high priest who died once and for all. What an amazing God we serve. Pray with me, would you? Dear Heavenly Father, God, you are good. Lord, you are a God who provides, a God who knows our every needs. Lord, you are a God who is faithful even when we are not faithful, Lord. But Lord, you are there with us through it all. God, teach us what it is to walk in obedience, Lord. Teach us what it is to to be ready to do what you have asked us to do. 
Lord, remind us continually of your goodness, especially in the moments where we forget. When we are overwhelmed by so many different things, God, would you just remind us of what you have done and remind us of what you will do and open our eyes to see the things that you're already doing in our own lives. God, be with us, Lord. We need you. God, be God. God, would you be what we love most of all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.